Well, we probably all know the type. Some of us may have been the type. You know, the kid who's always lurking behind the scenes, enjoying the sight of the mayhem that he just brought about. Sometimes this individual is simply the class clown who likes to have fun by stirring things up. Sometimes they are the type of person described in this passage of scripture. In the book, Quiet, the power of introverts, it's a good subject for many here, power of introverts in a world that won't stop talking, author Susan Cain writes, America has shifted from what the influential cultural historian Warren Seussman called a culture of character to a culture of personality and opened up a Pandora's box of personal anxieties from which we would never quite recover. In the culture of character, the ideal self was serious, disciplined, and honorable. What counted was not so much the impression one made in public as much as how one behaved in private. The word personality didn't even exist in English until the 18th century. And the idea of having a good personality was not widespread until the 20th. But when they embraced the culture of personality, Americans started to focus on how others perceived them. They became captivated by people who were bold and entertaining. The social role demanded of all in the new culture of personality was that of a performer, Seussman famously wrote. Every American was to become a performing self. In the past 70 or 80 years, our culture has gone from celebrating the statesman, the person who lives life according to principles and is willing to sacrifice, to the celebrity who is all about getting noticed and is willing to do anything to make that happen. We have individuals who are famous for being famous. We have gone from character matters to just win, baby. Owning the other side is more important than doing what is right. In the church, many have forgotten our Lord's command to love our enemies and have embraced the world's values seeking to crush others. Not only do many want others to notice, but they have stopped caring if people notice them for the wrong reason, rather than because they follow the way of Jesus. Over the past few months, we've looked at what wisdom is and why we need it. Solomon has spoken about the benefits of wisdom. We've been warned about those who would try to entice us to do evil, and told to watch out for the strange woman, or man, I might add. We have hopefully learned practical lessons about finances and the value of hard work. I believe the scripture is best studied in context. So I looked to see if any of the commentators referred to the verses surrounding today's passage. I couldn't find any. But... I believe that these verses can be tied together in some way. Sometimes the person who's lazy and looking for easy riches is easy prey for the smooth talker. And sometimes the lazy one is the smooth talker. 
who is a personality. Now, you may be right. I may be crazy. But let's go ahead and look at verses 12 to 15. The person in these verses is described in verse 12 as a worthless person. In the King James, he's a naughty person, just a naughty boy. In the Hebrew, this person is called a man of Belial, a wicked person. In the New Testament, the name Belial is used to refer to Satan. So a man of Belial would be a follower of Satan. Now, not necessarily worshiping Satan and sacrificing small animals and things like that, but by doing what Satan would do. In John 8:44, Jesus tells the religious leaders that they are children of the devil. Generally in scripture, this term refers to a worthless person who is always up to no good. This worthless person is wicked. And he goes around with crooked speech. How many of you have built any sort of structure? A doghouse, a shed, or even a house? Anybody? Okay, we've got a couple. When uh, a few few winters ago, uh, we had like 14 inches of snow. Collapsed the roof on our metal shed which was the second shed that had been in that spot because the wind took the first one away because it wasn't, it wasn't anchored down. The second one, the roof collapsed because it wasn't put on properly. So our fathers decided that rather than have us buy another metal shed, they would build us a shed. If there's ever a tornado or an earthquake... We're going in that shed because it's not going anywhere. (laughs) They put that thing together to stay. It was so funny, though, because Jan's dad had plans. We're going to do this. My dad said, no, we'll just get the wood and put it up. And somehow they did it together. (laughs) But imagine what would happen to that structure if the wood that was used was crooked. The walls would be warped. The roof would be crooked, and it probably wouldn't take much to bring that structure down. Much like the house built on sand that we talked about back in the Sermon on the Mount. The speech of a worthless person is warped. It's crooked, and nothing good can come from it. Luke 6.45 says that an evil person speaks out of an abundance of an evil heart. We see crooked speech, or hear crooked speech, or both, all around us. The old joke that you could tell that a particular person was lying because their lips were moving seems to be more and more true. Much of what passes for discourse turns out to be folks talking past each other with no thought of really understanding one another. Now, crooked speech is much more than simply lying or attacking others verbally. It can be speaking certain things that seem to be true while leaving out other things that call what we say into question. We hear a lot of half-truths around us today. Crooked speech also includes gossip. 
It includes spreading things about someone that others don't need to know. Sometimes this can be even wrapped up in a prayer request for that person. Innuendos. Leaving certain parts of the story out can also be crooked speech. I would even say that at times remaining silent can be considered crooked speech. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote that the cruelest lies are often told in silence. Now, a a worthless person doesn't have to speak to do damage. A worthless person can also use nonverbal communications. Verse 13 tells us that he winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, and points with his finger. Body language often says more than our words. Different gestures mean different things in different cultures. In some Middle Eastern countries, it's an insult to show the sole of your feet to someone. In some cultures, it's considered good manners to belch after a meal. In others, it's considered rude. I don't know, you may remember, if, uh, if you're old enough or have seen it in the history books, when the, um, pi- uh, when the uh, ship was captured by the North Koreans way back in the 70s, I think it was, and they paraded the, the uh, sailors before the camera, and they, uh, they gave, uh, while they were on the camera and so on, and supposedly saying they're being treated well and this and that, uh, a couple of them gave the, uh, the famous uh, middle finger, you're number one with us, salute. And the North Koreans asked them about it, and they said, oh, it's, it's just a, a gesture of friendliness. Well, of course, when the North Koreans found out what it really meant, they, they beat the uh, people pretty severely. But body language can do all kinds of things. There's an entire science that claims to be able to tell when a person is lying by their body language. They look at their eyes, how their lips are formed, how the person is sitting or standing, the direction they're facing, other things. I'm sure we've all seen someone saying one thing with their lips and winking to show that what they're saying is not true. Or the old make a promise while crossing your fingers behind your back. The worthless person has a perverted, twisted heart and loves to stir things up, seeking to cause dissension and division within a group. Now, he's different from the sluggard who doesn't do anything because the worthless person continually seeks to spread discord. They're always working. This person proves that they are children of the devil who asked Eve, did God really say that? The worthless person also has a deceitful heart. They're able to fool those who are not careful. They're able to work their way into a group and somehow find the most gullible ones. The dissension that's caused by a worthless person will come from half-truths, as Proverbs 6.19, 
hatred, Proverbs 10, 12, uncontrolled temper, chapter 15, verse 18, perversity, 16, 28, greed, 28, 25, and anger, 29, 22. It's a pretty, uh, pretty rough list. All of these come from the perverted heart of a worthless person. Now, we are warned here to be careful that we don't throw in our lot with the smooth-talking personality, the person that uses the language to twist truth, to deceive others, to cause division, and to destroy others. The one who uses crooked speech, who devises evil and tries to deceive with their words, their eyes, their hands, and even their feet, who plans evil out of a twisted heart, will suddenly have calamity come down on them. They will be broken beyond healing. Strong words. But they're meant to warn us to watch out that we are not deceived by this type of person or that we don't become this person. We who follow King Jesus have been redeemed. And called to live in a way that is opposite of that of the person described in these verses. One commentator put it this way. A worthy person, a righteous man, goes about with upright communication. With a new heart devises good, continually sowing peace. We learned a few things about this back in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes... Jesus states that the blessed ones are the ones who are poor in spirit rather than rich in confidence, who aren't afraid to let others see them mourn or meek and don't try to build themselves up, who seek righteousness rather than power or wealth, who are merciful rather than harsh, who make peace rather than stir up strife and division, and who are persecuted because they belong to Jesus. Jesus tells us that the righteousness of the kingdom is a righteousness of the heart that treats others with love rather than a desire to deceive or control them. In chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, Jesus teaches that murder is more than just physically killing someone, but it is also accomplished by what we say. In verses 33 to 37, he tells us that we are to be people who are known for truth and honesty, so that we have no need to swear by anything, but can simply let our yes be yes And our no be no. People can take us at face value. Our king calls us to not retaliate when attacked, but to love those who hate us. In chapter 6, the first 18 verses, that's all about how we practice our religion. Is it showy and designed to make others think highly of us? Maybe as better than others? In chapter 7, we're told that we can tell the state of a person's heart by the fruit that they produce. And at the end of that chapter, there's an echo of Proverbs 6.15. 
where Jesus speaks of those who claim to know him and even did great things in his name. Jesus says that he will tell them that he never knew them and goes on to describe the great fall of those who heard his words but never put them into promise, into practice, sorry. The writings of the apostles have much to say about what we say and how we say it. James tells us that we should be quick to hear and slow to speak and warns us about stumbling in our speech because of how much damage it can cause. He says the tongue is a fire caught on fire from hell. He also states that a person who thinks they are religious but doesn't control their tongue is fooling themselves and their religion is empty. Peter tells us that we are to be ready to give an answer about our faith with gentleness and reverence. That seems to be in short supply these days. There are examples in the Gospels of how Jesus kept silent while he was attacked. And yes, he did call the Pharisees children of Satan, vipers, snakes. But that's Jesus, and that's also people who were deceiving others. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes that we are to let no unwholesome word proceed from our mouths but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. The early Christians were known by how different they are from the pagans around them. It wasn't that they dressed differently or did things differently like that, lived in different houses, the outward things. No, it's because they lived the way they lived their lives is stuck out to people. In 125, a Christian named Aristides said of his fellow followers of Jesus, they walk in all humility and kindness and falsehood is not found among them and they love one another. They despise not the widow and grieve not the orphan. He that hath distributeth liberally to him that hath not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if it were their own brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the spirit and in God. But when one of their poor passes away from the world and any of them see him, then he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible, he may be delivered, they deliver him. And if there is a man among them that is poor and needy, and they have not among them an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. Think of the impact the church could have if those of us who claim to be citizens of the kingdom of God lived in such a way that the world around us could describe us in the same way. 
We live in a world that is in turmoil. Everywhere you look, there are people who are willing to say or do anything to advance their issues, thinking nothing of destroying others. There are even those who call themselves ministers of the gospel who speak of violence and destruction. We also live in a culture in which some, at the very least, don't like us very much. The temptation to retaliate when we are attacked is real, as it was for the believers in the first century. The verse that informs our core values as a church is Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The Apostle Peter, remember him? He's the one who cut the guy's ear off in the garden. He told his readers and would tell us that they were not to repay evil for evil, but to repay evil with blessing, because that is what we are called to do. Our prime example, of course, is Jesus himself. Peter writes, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, they made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus the King is our example in all things. He calls us to follow him. In the Hebrew Mishnah, it was written, Let your home be a gathering place for scholars. Get dusty in the dust of their feet and drink in their words with thirst. This is a source of the saying, May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, meaning to walk so closely behind the rabbi that the dust from his feet ended up on you. Now, whether or not the disciples literally followed that close, the rabbi stops and they all run into him, that wouldn't be good. But the idea is still valid for us in the 21st century. Because our rabbi, our master, has shed his blood to save us and has called us to follow him. We want to follow him closely enough so that his dust, so to speak, covers us. In the first century, the believers in Antioch began to be called Christians or Christ ones or little Christs because they were so much like Christ. Yes, it was a term of derision originally, but the early church adopted it because it was true. They were so much like Jesus, covered in his dust, that people saw Jesus in them. We were saved not to get into heaven, but so that God would have a people for himself, a people who would be like his son, a people who would represent his kingdom in a world that gave their allegiance to the rulers of this world. God has given us his spirit to empower us to live as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. 
To close, let me quote a well-known prayer from Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. May we be covered in his dust.